preach your word. Lord, I, I ask that you would have the Holy Spirit help me, Lord, as I attempt to preach the Bible. Help me to say the things you would have me to say. Lord, help us to be focused and attentive tonight, Lord, and I pray that a work would be done in our hearts as we look at this passage tonight. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Joshua chapter 5. And if you remember, God miraculously brought the children of Israel across the Jordan River into uh, the plains of Jericho or the promised land. If you remember, and we've been talking about it a lot on Sunday nights, but the children of Israel left Egypt. They were supposed to cross into uh, the promised land or Canaan land. And because of their lack of faith, because they allowed fear to come into their heart, they refused to go. And God said, all right, well, if you don't want to listen to what I have for you, then I'm going to make it so that you wander in the wilderness for 40 days. And He allowed that generation that would not go, He allowed them to die, and when the next generation rose up, they were allowed to cross the Jordan into the promised land with Joshua to be able to conquer that land. Now you've got to remember as we study the book of Joshua, that the picture of Canaan land, and the picture of the children, this is all a picture of the Christian life. Egypt represents the world. Egypt always represents the world. Whenever you see Egypt in the Bible, it is a picture of the world. You always see the people going down into Egypt. You see the patriarchs, when they go into Egypt, they get themselves in trouble there. They get enslaved there. They're in bondage. That that was all a picture of, of God's people or the people there being in the world, being in Egypt, uh, uh, under bondage. Moses, in some ways, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Deliverer came, delivered them out of Egypt. They crossed that Red Sea, a picture of baptism. They wandered in the wilderness, a picture of a backslidden Christian. And now that they're crossing in, they passed the Jordan River, and they're going into Canaan land, they're going to begin to fight battles, they're going to begin to take land, they're going to begin to conquer, and that is a picture of the victorious Christian life. And in your life, you've got to remember that the Christian life is a life of one battle after another, after another. You're, you said, what am I battling? The sin, the world, the devil. You're just getting a victory after victory after victory. God wants you to live the victorious Christian life. What's interesting about the book of Joshua is that here in a little bit, we're going to start getting real, it's going to get real exciting. The book of Joshua is it's definitely my favorite, my, my most favorite book in the Old Testament, uh, because it's just so exciting. There's so many wars and battles that happen there. But it's interesting because Joshua is about taking over a land, but we spend the first five chapters with God just dealing with the people and preparing them to, to start taking that land. If you look at verse 1 there in chapter 5, I want you to notice the Bible says, And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over. Notice what it says, that their hearts melted, neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So they heard that God had dried up the waters of Jordan. God miraculously brought them. They are now in the plains of Jericho. Look at verse uh, 10 there in chapter 5. It says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Jericho is going to be the first city that the children of Israel go and take and conquer. And they're right there. They're ready to start their, their military campaign. They're ready to start all these victorious battles that they're going to have. But before they can start fighting, before they can start winning battles, before they can start taking land, 
chapter 5 is brought in because God just has a few more things, a few loose ends that He has to address and take care of before the children of Israel can begin the the process of conquering the land. And in your Christian life, God has some things that He may want you to address. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm having victory in my Christian life. I don't feel like I'm winning battles. I don't feel like I'm I'm possessing more land or, or becoming stronger. Well, there may be a few things that God wants you to deal with before you can start having that victory. And you can find those things here in chapter number 5. Number one, I want you to see that God requires separation. God requires separation. If you look at verse 2, the Bible says, And the time, and at that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives, and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. Now, I'm not going to go through and explain uh, what circumcision is. If you're an adult here, you probably know what circumcision is. But I want you to notice this, that God commanded the children of Israel to be circumcised. Now, you've got to understand that circumcision is a picture of separation. Look at verse number 8 there. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Joshua, notice what the Lord says, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Now here's what you need to understand. They had came out of Egypt, if you remember, 40 plus years ago. The book of Joshua takes place 40 and over 40 years after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And like we talked about a second ago, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, that was a picture of salvation. If you look at it as an illustration of a human being, this is a person who had already been saved for 40 years. For 40 years he's already been out of Egypt. For 40 years he's no longer been in bondage. For 40 years he's already, you know, he's been saved, been born again, not under the power of sin, not under the power of that law uh, of Egypt anymore. But it wasn't until Joshua circumcised the children of Israel that God says, I have finally, after all these decades, look at verse 9. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. You say, well, we haven't been in Egypt for 40 plus years, God. We haven't been slaves for decades now. And just now you've finally rolled away the reproach. That word reproach there means a disgrace, a discredit. See, the sad thing is that the children of Israel had been in Egypt for 200 plus years. And probably, as they had been in Egypt, a lot of the Egyptian culture had rubbed off on them. They probably looked a lot like the Egyptians. They probably had haircuts like the Egyptians had haircuts. They probably had clothes like the Egyptians had clothes. You know what I mean? They probably were a lot like the Egyptians. And 40 years passed and God said, I have finally rolled away. Because here's what you got to understand. There is a difference between salvation and sanctification. There is a difference between salvation and separation. And whosoever will may come, for for God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, anyone can be saved, but not anyone can live the victorious Christian life. 
And the first step to being able to get to that place where you're winning battles, where you're no longer fighting with your flesh, and you're no longer giving in to your flesh, but you're able to overcome sin, the first step is you've got to make a choice to separate yourself. When God established circumcision for the children of Israel with Abraham there in the book of Genesis, the purpose of circumcision was to separate him from the rest of the people to make him different. That's what circumcision represents. That's why when they were circumcised, he said, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. And you will never live the Christian life, the successful Christian life, while you may be saved, but you're covered in the disgrace and the reproach and the sin of Egypt. Say, I'm saved, but you look like Egypt. I'm saved, but you act like Egypt. I'm saved, but you still have that reproach of Egypt. That reproach must be rolled away. You say, how do I do that? Through circumcision. Through separation. Now, before we continue on, because we're going to be talking about circumcision here for a little bit, I want you to go to the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. It was the chapter we were in this morning. I mentioned to you that we're going to come back to it tonight. Galatians, chapter number 5 in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you've got the book of Galatians. Galatians, chapter 5. Because you need to understand that circumcision in the Old Testament, for those Old Testament saints was a law that they had to follow. For us, it's an example. It's an example. And it's an illustration that we can learn from. But I, but I want to kind of give the disclaimer that we, as New Testament believers, do not fall under these Levitical laws. So I want you to understand the correlation between circumcision and the New Testament believer. Are you there in Galatians chapter 5? Look at verse number 1. Galatians 5, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been studying the fact that God freed us from the law of sin. Do you remember that? God freed us from the law, uh, uh, from that schoolmaster that accused us of our sin, and we have been made free. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just allowed to do whatever you want. You've got to remember... Paul said, Paul said, you've been free from the law, you've been free, you're no longer under his bondage. But he said, what then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And here in Galatians 5, he says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Here's what he's saying. Don't go back to Egypt after God freed you from Egypt. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to that bondage that you had. Look verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you. Now he begins to talk specifically about circumcision. Because in the New Testament you had these Jews who were still trying to bring that Mosaic law into the New Testament Christian's life. And in verse 3 he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised. He says, look, if you, if you get circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole lot. Now please understand, okay? We're talking here spiritually. Today in our culture, people circumcise their children for all sorts of different reasons. But what he's referring to is the fact of this. These people were circumcising their children because they thought that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? For them it was a religious act. And here's what Paul's saying. Look at verse 2 again. Behold, I say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, if you're getting circumcised for the purposes of attaining salvation, you think you've got to get circumcised and check that off your list so that you can be uh, saved. He says, if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit. 
profit you nothing. Look at verse 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying if you think that keeping the law of getting circumcised is going to get you saved, all you're doing is acknowledging the fact that you must follow the law. And he says, well, you then you've got to follow everything. He said, you become a debtor of the whole law. Look at verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. A lot of people like to use that phrase, fallen from grace. But the, the context of that phrase is that salvation is by grace through faith. It's a gift. It's something we're given. But he says, if you want to try to earn salvation by doing things, by getting circumcised, he's like, you're fallen from grace. Then you, you're a debtor to do the whole law. Look at verse 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Say, well, how do I get saved? By getting circumcised? No, by faith. And, and by the way, this applies today. Today, there aren't many religions. There are a few still. There aren't many religions who teach that you must be circumcised to be saved. But there are a whole lot of religions that teach that you must be baptized to be saved. Well, guess what? You can, you, can, you can put that, you can put any word in there. We could read, for I testify again, if every man be baptized in order to be saved, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. We could say, behold, I Paul say unto you, that if ye be baptized, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now look, we're all for baptism. We're a Baptist church. But if you think your baptism is going to save you, or you think your church attendance is going to save you, or you think the fact that you follow some law, or you follow some rule, or you do some religious act, or you do some ritual, and you think that's going to save you, I'm here to tell you, God, Jesus, profits you nothing. So you're falling from grace. If you say, well, well, I'm going to follow these few laws, God says, look, if you're going to follow a law, then you've got to follow all the laws. Amen. And you can't follow all the laws. Amen. You need Jesus Christ. So the New Testament believer, now keep your finger there in Galatians because we're going to come back to it. But I want you to understand when we're talking about circumcision, it is a metaphor, it is an analogy, it is a picture. But the New Testament believer is not under the law to be circumcised. I, I, I know some Baptist preachers who, who teach their people that you've got to be circumcised and even as a Christian you've got to circumcise your children you're not right with God. I think to myself, have you ever read the New Testament? <laughs> I mean, a lot in the Bible talks about, we, are not, we don't have to circumcise our children as far as a religious act. you understand what I'm saying? We're talking about a religious act. So that's a disclaimer. Circumcision, actually, did you keep your finger there in Galatians? Keep, put your bulletin there or something, but go real quickly to Colossians. Galatians, uh, right after the book of Galatians, you've got the book of Ephesians. After Philippians, you've got the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. Because I, I want to teach you this, and we're going to get back to Joshua here in a minute. Is it warm in here? Yes. It is warm? Why let's kick on the air conditioner for a second, and then we'll turn it off. Remember to turn it off once it gets cold, because people get cold, and uh, I'm com- I, I, man, I'm comfortable when it's cold, but people don't like it. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. I just want you to know, see this about circumcision, okay? Because in the New Testament, there is something. It's not circumcision, but there's something like it. Let me show it to you. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now understand that. Do you see that? 
The circumcision, here's what it's doing. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. You see that? The picture of circumcision is that you're putting off sin. You're rolling away the reproach of of Egypt. Do you understand that? Look at verse 12 though. Here's the New Testament version of circumcision. Buried with Him in the baptism. Do you see that? When also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. In the Old Testament, people believed on the Messiah, believed on Christ, and then they showed their belief. What happened in their heart, they showed that by being circumcised outwardly. In the New Testament, we believe on Jesus Christ, we believe on the Messiah, and we show what happens in our heart by outwardly being baptized and showing outwardly what happened in our heart that we believe in Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. Sometimes I talk to people about baptism and they act like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to get baptized. I think to myself, man, you better thank your lucky stars that all God asks you to do is get baptized. Good night in the Old Testament, they have to get circumcised. Amen. If we have to circumcise people in the New Testament, you know, today after, after they were saved, we told them, well, the first step in obedience is getting circumcised. We probably wouldn't put it in the bulletin. <laughs> I don't think a lot of guys would agree to it, you know what I mean? I'd much rather get dunked. I'll get dunked a few times if it means I don't have to, you know, get caught. <laughs> But the but the picture the picture of circumcision and the same with baptism is of separation. Is that you no longer belong to the world? Is that you belong to God? Is that He saved you? You are buried with Him in in death, and you are raised to walk in newness of life. That's the picture. So I want you to understand that because I want you to get an understanding of circumcision for the New Testament believer. But go back to Joshua. Keep your finger on Colossians. That's what I meant for you to do. Colossians. Because we're going to come back to Colossians. Okay? Go to Joshua chapter number 5. We've got to hurry up because the ice cream is getting cold. Wait, that's not a problem. <laughs> okay, the ice cream is getting warm. They, they put it out. So Joshua chapter 5. Are you there? Joshua chapter 5. Circumcision is a picture of separation. God said, hey, before you go into and start taking over land, before you start growing and enlarging yourself, before you start being successful in your Christian life, before you start getting victory over sin, before you start, because that was the picture. They went into the promised land and they had all these different enemies there. And the enemies were trying to destroy them. And they had to, in the power of God, destroy Jericho, destroy Ai, destroy the Philistines, and get them out of the land so that they could conquer it. That's your life. There, you've got enemies. The, the promised land represents your heart. You've got enemies that are fighting against you every day. It may be different things for different people. It may be alcohol. It may be gossiping. It may be lazy. I don't know what it is, but you've got battles that you've got to fight, and in the power of of God, you'll fight those battles, and you'll win those battles, and you'll conquer the land, and you can live that victorious Christian life. But God says, before you can do that, I need you to separate from the world. He says, I need you to get circumcised. Now here's what's interesting. Look at verse number... Uh, what I want you let's see look at verse 2 look at verse 2 again Joshua chapter 5 verse 2 at that time the Lord said unto Joshua make these sharp knives make, make a note of those words sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time and Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin now obviously if you're an adult, you understand the concept of circumcision. Go to Hebrews in your New, in your New Testament there. Hebrews. 
Obviously, if you're going to circumcise someone, you're going to need a sharp knife. One of the first things that Joshua had to do in order to circumcise the children of Israel is he had to get his hands on a sharp knife so that he could start cutting. You understand what I'm saying? And in our spiritual life, God likes to use a sharp knife to cut out things that He doesn't want us to have. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 4? Look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 12, For the Word of God... What are we talking about? The Bible. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is quick and powerful and... What's that next word? Sharper. Do you see that? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. God says to the children of Israel, He says, I want you to get a sharp knife, and I want you to circumcise the people, and we're going to separate them, we're going to make them different from Egypt, we're going to make them different from the world, and in your Christian life, spiritually, God says, I'm going to take a sharp knife, called the Word of God. And I'm going to begin to cut things. And I'm going to begin to remove things. And I'm going to begin to make you different than the world you came out of. See, you got saved out of the world. You got saved out of Amari Clay. But you're not supposed to stay like that. You're supposed to be different. You say, well, how do I become different? As the Word of God is preached. As the Word of God is read. As the Word of God is studied and meditated. The Bible says God uses that Word as a sharp knife to begin to circumcise you spiritually. It's separation. Not only that, go back to Joshua 5. Look at verse 4. Joshua 5 verse 4. You say, well, why did... Why did Joshua have to circumcise these people? Look at verse two again. At that time, Joshua said unto jo- uh, I'm sorry. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, "Make these sharp knives and circumcise." Notice this again. Do you see that? He says, "Circumcise again the children of Israel the second time." Say, so why did he have to circumcise them a second time? Look at verse three. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And, verse 4, this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. So here's the reason Joshua had to circumcise the people. Look what it says. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. We talked about that. Remember, they came out. They didn't go into the promised land. They died in the wilderness. Verse 5. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. So the people that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised. But, notice, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. Are you following what he's saying? All the men that came out of Egypt were circumcised. But all the children that were born during those 40 years in the wilderness, as they were in the way in the wilderness, they stopped circumcising their children. So you had all these these grown men that had never been circumcised. That's why I had to circumcise them again the second time. Look at verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that He would not show them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers, that He would give us a land that flowed with milk and honey. And their children who he raised up out of their stead, them Joshua circumcised. Why? For they were 
uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. Do you see that? Here's what you have. You have a dad that's circumcised and a son that's not. What does circumcision represent? Separation. You've got a generation that is separated. You've got a generation that knows what they believe. They've got the right Bible. They've got the right music. They've got, they know their dress standards. They're not soul winning. They live for God. They're not like the world. They're, they're not like Egypt. They're different. But you've got this generation coming up, and they're just like the world. They're just like Egypt. All the adults got circumcised, but they failed to teach the children how to be separated from the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Today in our Christian life, hey, we've got a whole lot of adults who say, well, I believe in salvation by grace through faith. And I believe in eternal security. And I believe in the King James Bible. And I believe in singing the old hymn. And I believe in living a separated life and a clean life. And I believe in going to church and doing right. But we've got a generation of children that are being raised to not like hard preaching. To not love the old hymns. To not love the Word of God. We've got parents who love God, but they don't teach their children how to love God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We had parents who were circumcised. They were separated. They were not like Egypt, but they didn't teach their kids that. And Joshua said, before we can move on, we've got to circumcise those kids. Let me tell you something. It is our job at Verity Baptist Church to make sure that the next generation that comes after us knows what they believe, Amen. knows the stand that they should take. Hey, when I'm gone, I hope there are young people, even in this room right now, that will grow up. I, I hope that there is a child in this room that maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years from now will stand up behind this pulpit and preach the Word of God. And I don't want them to get up here and change things up. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want Pastor Jimenez to die and some young guy comes in here and he says, well, I know that old pastor, that old fogey, he used to like those old hymns, but we're going to bring in the rock and roll music. No. We're going to bring in the new uh, uh, living translation. No. We're, we're going to stop preaching so hard and we're not going to mention sin and hell and we're not going to mention all those sharp knife type issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to make sure we raise children and those of you that are parents, you better make sure that not only you're walking right, but you're teaching your kids how to walk right. Amen. I think God, you say, Pastor Jimenez, why do you preach so hard against sin? And why do we sing these old hymns? You're a young guy, why aren't you these things? Because somebody took the time to show me from a child how we're supposed to do it. So as an adult, I can say, hey, I'm taking those things that were handed to me, and I'm taking them into the next generation. But don't forget about the one behind us. He said, the adults are all circumcised, but the kids are going to do all the work. What about that? He said, let's circumcise them. See, circumcision is for the entire generation. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising, so they circumcised everybody. Look what it says. All the people that they abode in their places, in the camp, look what it says, till they were pulled. Here's what you got to say about circumcision. It's going to hurt. <laughs> is that hard to get? That's real deep, isn't it? Circumcision is going to hurt. But you'll get over it. Look, look at what it says. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp. They took a break. They took some time to rest. Till they were whole. Until they had recovered. Let me tell you something. In your Christian life, maybe it's the first time you've ever gone to a church like Verity Baptist Church. 
Maybe it's the first time you've ever came to a ministry where you actually hear a man preach God's Word without apology, without excuse. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this two-edged sword, this sharp knife. And maybe you come here and you think, man, every time I come here, it feels like I'm just, I, it hurts. Yeah, circumcision hurts. But you'll get over it. You'll heal. You understand what I'm saying? When you start separating your life, when you start getting rid of sin in your life, when you start becoming holy and you start walking with God, and you start getting rid of things that God, God wants to make you different, God wants to cleanse you, He wants you to be different from Egypt, and at first it's going to hurt. At first you're not going to like it. Let me tell you something, at first, most people that come to Verity Baptist Church, at first they do not like Pastor Jimenez. That's why there is a Miss Joanne. <laughs> Because everybody doesn't like me, but they like her. So that works out. We balance each other out. <laughs> Why? Well, because Pastor Jimenez is mean. He's always preaching all these things. I'm thinking to myself, I'm just... That's the Word of God. I didn't write it. Amen. It's like getting mad at the mailman for bringing you your bills. <laughs> I'm just the messenger. That's okay. I don't mind you being mad at me. That's fine. As long as you come. Amen. But you say, well, I, whenever I'm getting sent out and it hurts. It's going to hurt. But just stay with it. They, they, it hurt. They took it slow till they were whole. You will recover. Did you keep your finger there in Colossians? Go back to Colossians real quick. Say, so what's, what's the spiritual application for New Testament believers? Colossians, we've got to hurry up. Is it warm in here again? I'm warm. Good night. Is, is everybody comfortable? Because if it's just me. Colo- okay, everybody's warm. Good. All right. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I've got... High blood pressure or something. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 11 again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. I want you to see it. Man, we got to hurry up. Look what it says. In whom also ye are circumcised. Look what it says. With the circumcision made without hands. Do you see that? With the circumcision made without hands. Now, what kind of circumcision could you have that is made without hands? Go to the book of Romans. Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 2. Look at verse number 29. Romans chapter number 2. Look at verse number 29. The Bible says, But he is a Jew. Are you, I'll wait for you to get there because I want you to see it. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. Do you see that? In the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men but of God. See, you say, as New Testament believers, we don't have to physically get circumcised. Praise the Lord. But God expects you to be circumcised in your heart. God expects you in your heart to be separate, to be separated, to be different. God wants to roll away the reproach of Egypt. You say, well, I've been saved for 40 years, Pastor. You're saying, I've been a Christian for 40 years. You may still have the reproach of Egypt on your life. You may still have the marks of Egypt on your life. And God wants to separate you from that. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 5. We got to... We gotta do this quickly if we're gonna finish this chapter, and I think I think we're gonna try to finish it. So let, let's do this fast. Joshua chapter five. I said number one, God required them to be separated. Number two, I want you to see God required them to be self-sufficient. God required them to be self-sufficient. Uh, look at verse number. Uh, let's see, verse number. Good night. Where are we? 
verse number 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even, at the, in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover, unleavened cakes, and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow. Did you see that? And the manna ceased on the morrow, after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You say, what is that referring to? Go back to Exodus, real quickly. Let's do it quickly. Exodus chapter number 16. You've got, right before the book of Joshua, you've got the books of, of uh, let's see, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, and then you've got... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So go to Exodus chapter number 16. Exodus chapter number 16. Exodus chapter number 16. Are you sure you people aren't getting warm? Because I'm hot. Everybody's hot. Is, is it warm? Is it warm? Does anybody even understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Circumcision. That's what we're talking about. Okay, if you're warm, raise your hand. You see, I'm sweating, okay? <laughs> if, you're, if you're cold, raise your hand. Let's, can we just kick that thing off for a second? Uh, it's on? Now let's bring it down. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. It stopped working on us. Good. Joshua, where are you? Exodus, man. See, the, the ice cream is getting so hot now. Exodus 16. I'm just trying to help the ice cream. Exodus 16, uh, verse 35. Are you there? Exodus 16, verse 35. Look at it. we got to move quickly. Exodus 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to the land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders. Do you see that? The children of Israel ate manna. Go to Deuteronomy. You're there in Exodus. Go past Leviticus. Go to Deuteronomy, chapter number 8. Deuteronomy... Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter number 8. Deuteronomy, chapter number 8. Look at verse number uh, 3. Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy, chapter number 8, verse number 3. The Bible says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, or bread only, excuse me, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Skip down to verse number 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Here's what you got to understand. When the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, God fed them with manna. Do you, are you familiar with the story? God every morning would drop manna from heaven and the children of Israel would go, they would wake up and they'd go outside of their tent and God had bread on the ground for them. He would feed them. He provided their food while they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Go back to Joshua 5. But when they crossed over into the promised land, look at verse 11, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day, and the manna ceased. God stopped feeding them with manna. See, He says, if you're going to live the victorious Christian life, number one, you've got to be separated. Number two, you've got to be self-sufficient. He says, I was feeding you when you were helpless. I was feeding you when you were in the wilderness. I was feeding you when you first came out of Egypt. But now, if you're going to live the successful Christian life, he says, now I expect you to feed yourself. Amen. So what is the spiritual application? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's do it quickly. Got to hurry up. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2. Look what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes, talking about a brand new Christian, a spirit, because remember, when you got saved, you got born again. You familiar with the phrase? You were a new Christian. When you got saved, you're a baby Christian. Look what it says. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk. You say, what is that referring to? Look what it says. Of the word. So what is that referring to? The Bible. He said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. He says, when you first get saved, the way you're going to grow and strengthen is through the word of God. Now let me tell you something. A newborn baby needs somebody to feed them. A newborn baby needs somebody to give them the milk that they need, the nourishment that they need to grow. Go to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. You were just there, so it should be fairly easy to find. Hebrews uh, chapter number uh, 5. See, what you need to understand is this. When you first got saved, and by the way, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is not based on how many years you've been a Christian. It's based on how much you've grown. And here's what he says. He says, a newborn baby needs the sincere milk of the Word. Let me tell you something. You come to Verity Baptist Church and you say, Pastor, I'm not a very mature Christian. I just got saved. Or maybe you'll say, I've been saved for a while, but I've never really grown. I've never been discipled. I don't really know the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. Let me tell you something. We are more than happy to feed you as a baby. You come to Verity Baptist Church, we do a whole lot of spiritual feeding. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, I need some milk from the Word of God. Hey, we're going to give you all the milk you can get. We'll give you so much milk, it's coming out of your nose. You know what I mean? I mean, we're going to make sure you get nourished. You're going to be a fat baby. But as you grow, my little daughter Elizabeth does not feed herself. But as children begin to grow, those other two boys have no problem feeding themselves. See what I'm saying? And spiritually, yes, you say, I come to very Baptist Church, and you have Pastor Jimenez take a spiritual bottle and feed you the sincere milk of the Word, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're more than happy to do it. But eventually, are you there in Hebrews chapter 5? Look at verse number 12. Hebrews 5, 12. For then, uh, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Oracles of God referring to the Word of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. See, you start off drinking milk, but eventually God says, I want you to be eating meat. Do you understand what I'm saying? He said, you first just start learning those new things. Faith. Salvation. Eternal life. But eventually you start growing and you start maturing. And guess what? We start giving you more meat. We start giving you more Bible. You start learning more and eventually you start feeding yourself. Look at look at uh, verse uh, uh, 12. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Verse 13. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You're a baby, spiritually, if you don't know how to use the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being a baby when you're a baby. There's something wrong with acting like a baby when you're a grown man. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're 19 years old, no, mommy's not going to feed you a bottle. Learn how to feed yourself. And what God was telling the children of Israel, He said, when you first came out of Egypt, when you first became a nation, when you were wandering around, trying to find and figure out what you're supposed to do, He said, I have no problem feeding you. But now that you've been around for a while, and you're going to go in the promised land, and you're going to start conquering some land, and start doing some things for God,
God. He says, now I expect you to feed yourself. And if you're going to walk with God and have a successful Christian life, you're going to have to learn how to feed yourself spiritually. So how do I do that? By reading the Bible. By meditating on the Word of God. By, by memorizing. Look, we, Verity Baptist Church ought to be spiritually like a nice restaurant you go to three times a week. We'll, we'll serve you up a spiritual meal. But if, you're only, hey, if you only eat physically three times a week, how, how strong are you going to be? you got to feed yourself. Hey, we'll feed you the manna, but eventually you got to start feeding yourself. He said, number one, I want you to be separated, circumcision. He said, number two, I want you to be self-sufficient. He said, I'm not going to feed you manna anymore. I want you to feed yourself. I want you to grow up spiritually. Uh, it's okay that you go to church and Pastor Jimenez reads an entire chapter and then preaches it to you. Praise the Lord for it. But I want you to go home and I want you to open the Bible and I want you to read the chapters and I want you to look at what it says and I want you to learn it and you study. Hey, that's why we do nine chapters a day. That's why we you know, encourage you to read the Word, encourage you to do all things. Why? So that you can mature in your spiritual life. Amen. Number three, let's do it quickly. He said number one, he, wants you to, he required them to be separated. Number two, he required them to be self-sufficient. Number three, and we're, we're, this is the last point. We're going to finish up here soon. Look at verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, Joshua's the leader, remember? That he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. I like that about Joshua. He's not afraid of a fight. He sees a guy coming up to him with a weapon. And he doesn't run away. He goes right to him. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Here's what he said. Are you with us or against us? Look at verse 14. And he said, Nay. But as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua, look what it says. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said, What saith my Lord unto his servants? You say, what is going on here? This is what's theologically known as a Christophany or a theophany. Say, Pastor, why do you say those words? To impress you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you say, what, what is that? This is what's called a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Say, what? Isn't that interesting? This is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You say, well, how do you know it's Jesus Christ? Because it was a man. Look at verse 13 again. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man. It was a man. But he wasn't just a man. Look at verse 14. And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And did worship, do you see that? He did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Look at verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Look what he says. This is not just a normal man. He says, Lose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the, spa- for the place where I'll now stand is holy. Okay, this was not just a normal man. Now in the Old Testament, they don't call him Jesus. That's not his name. But this was a man who was God. And there's only one God-man, it's Christ Jesus. This was in pre-incarnate. Let me give you another example. This happens throughout the scriptures. Go to Exodus chapter 3. There's lots of examples of this in the Bible, but but let me just give you one. Exodus chapter 3, that is familiar to this. Remember, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is being called into the ministry. Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 1. Exodus chapter 3. 
Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Look at verse 2, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord, okay, so this is the angel of the Lord, appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So who appeared to Moses in a flame of fire? The angel of the Lord, right? And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Look at verse 4. And when the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah God. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, look what it says. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Who called out unto him out of the midst of the bush? God did. But who was in the bush? Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire. So the angel appeared, the angel of the Lord, but it was God. It was a person, but it was God. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Look what it says. Verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him on the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Tell me if this sounds familiar. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place where thou standest is holy ground. Does that sound familiar? See, Jesus Christ, go back to Joshua chapter 5, came down in a pre-incarnate body and appeared unto Joshua. Now here's what I think is interesting. We're almost done. Just stay, stick with me. Look what it says. Look at verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. I like that. Jesus Christ shows up with a weapon. That's good. That'll preach. His sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Notice the question that Joshua asks. He says, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He says, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? He said, Are you here, here to help us or are you here to help our enemies? He said, Are you for us or are you against us? Do you understand the question he asked? That's the question many of us like to ask Jesus Christ. We start going through a little trouble. We start going through a little struggle. We start going through a little burden. And we like to question Jesus and question God. And we say, God, are you for me or not? Are you going to help me or are you going to help my adversaries? That's what Joshua's asking. Look at the answer he gets though. Because you would think that Jesus Christ would say, Well, Joshua, I'm here for you. I'm not here for your adversary. Isn't that what you think he'd say? But look what he answers. Look at verse 4. And he said, Nay. You know what the word nay means? Neither. He... Joshua looks at the pre-incarnate Christ and says, Are you for us or against us? And here's what he said. He said, I am neither for you or against you. Look what he says. Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. You know what he said? He said, I'm not here to choose a side. He said, I'm here to take charge. He said, Joshua, you think you're in charge, but you're not in charge. He said, I'm in charge. I'm the captain of the host of the Lord. I'm running the show. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm here to take charge. And you need to understand, if you're going to have a successful Christian life, you better stop asking God, God, are you going to help me with this? Or God, are you going to help me with that? Or God, are you going to do this for me? Or God, are you going to do that for that? Let me tell you something. God is not here to help you or help me or help your enemy. God is not here to choose a side. God is here to take charge of your life. Period. End of story. He's here to take control. He's not here to say, well, he better help me. No, he, he better just, you better just follow orders, period. Amen. 
He said, are you for us or against us? He said, I'm not for you or against you. I'm here to be in charge of your life. Amen. He said, what did he expect from them? He expected separation. He expected self-sufficiency. But he expected submission. He said, Joshua, all I want to hear from you is yes, sir. And in the next chapter, we're going to see how the captain of the host of the Lord begins to instruct Joshua how he's going to take Jericho. But if Joshua was not submissive, because he was, look how, look how he responded. Look at the last part of verse 14. What saith my Lord unto his servant? Joshua said, yes sir, how can I help you God? He was submissive. If you're going to have a successful Christian life, you will never do it. You may get to the plains of Jericho. You may be able to see Jericho. It's in your sight. And you will never win that battle. Till you are separated. Till you are self-sufficient. And till you submit to the will of God. Say, why is God putting me through this? Sometimes we go through trials and storms and tribulations. Say, why is God putting me through this? Is God against me? God's not for you or against you. He's just in charge of you. And He'll put you through the storm if He thinks you need to be through the storm. And He'll put you through the trial if He thinks you need to be through a trial. He'll give you the victory if you need the victory. And He'll let you learn a lesson if you need to learn a lesson. He's not here to help you. He doesn't care about... You need to just understand this in your Christian life. God doesn't care about your job. Now He'll take care of you. But sometimes we think, well, well, I lose my job, or if I lose my house, then God must not be in it. God doesn't really care about your job. In fact, if losing your job means you're going to get right with God, He might let you lose your job, because He's not for you or against you. He's just in charge of you. And the sooner you realize that, and the sooner you understand that, and the sooner you stop asking, are you for us or against us? And you start saying, yes, sir. I'm your servant. What would you like me to do? The sooner you can step into the promised land and start winning battles and start having victories and start stop wandering in the wilderness. Say, so what do I got to do? You got to be separated. You got to be self-sufficient. And you got to submit to the will of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for the book of Joshua. Joshua is just such an exciting book in the Bible. But before they can get to all the excitement, before they can get to all the victories, before they can get to all of those things, they, they have to take care of a few things. And Father, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I believe that there are better days for Verity Baptist Church. And I believe that you, you have victories for us to win. And I'm not just talking about our church, although I believe our church will grow and will strengthen and we will do more. But I believe that every individual here, God has something for them. God has victories He wants them to win. But maybe they're just not ready because they're not separated. Maybe they're not circumcised in their heart. Maybe they're just not ready because they haven't learned to start feeding themselves. And that's okay. But Lord, help us to be people of the Word that would read our Bibles and meditate on Your Word and begin to grow spiritually. Maybe we just have this idea that God is a genie and He's supposed to take care of us when really we are here to serve Him. Father, I pray You'd help us to be like Joshua and the children of Israel who prepared themselves for greater things to come. Lord, we love You. In Your precious name I pray. Amen.